Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today to hear about who you are. May you speak to us. May the mystery and oddities of what we study today be made clear in our hearts and minds by your spirit that lives and dwells in all of us and teaches us what your son has asked us to hear. We ask this all in your son's name who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. So last night I was out. Um, it, was, it was dark and I was just um, kind of moseying around and was just looking at the church from across the road and thinking about how uh, Paul, the apostle of Jesus, um, would have traveled around Rome and seen structures probably similar to this one in magnitude. And those structures like this one would have been built in an age when technology is not like it is today. But their technology would have been even different than what was available when this building was built. But the Romans in the Roman Empire left their imprint across, the, um, across uh, Europe. Specifically in Turkey and in, in and around Greece and in and around Italy where they were. They left their imprint and, and today there's thousands of sites excavated by archaeologists who study these ancient cities. So what's interesting is a building like this one is built to last for thousands, hundreds, maybe thousands, hundreds of years after it is erected. It's meant to last for a long time. And then I was sitting there looking at the building and thinking, and I was like, you know, um, what's interesting is our lives are completely different than the lives of Paul. And really, now this is what actually got all of this going. Um, recently, uh, I had got on this kick where I was like really, really wanting to watch um, the newest Star Trek remake. I don't know if anyone knew that they remade some Star Trek movies um, in the last 10 years. So if you're thinking about Star Trek from the TV show back in the day, I don't know when, 60s, 70s, before that maybe? I feel like there's some in black and white, 60s, okay. And I've seen some of those, all right? And then my dad had the movies that came out in the 80s. Now those were amazing because of the technology difference in the production, so today, I mean, imagine the difference in the production. And these movies are good. Um, so I was like, I really want to watch the first one. And my dad had it, so I was able to get it. And I've been watch I watched it over the last couple of nights because it's long enough. And what's interesting is the whole idea of Star Trek is it's this, it's this world not unlike our own. I mean, in the show, uh, they're in San Francisco and the Golden Gate Bridge is there. It's not unlike our world, but it's set in the future so far that... Um, that there's aliens, that there's space sh starships, the starships that are in space that explore the edges of space. That world is nothing like ours. Just like our world is nothing like the world of uh, the first century. Now, what's amazing about all this to me is that God is the same. Now, Star Trek is obviously fictional. All right. But the, the difference in the worlds, God is the same God and God is still connecting and, and speaking to us in the same ways that he did in the first century to Paul. And today, what we look at and what we celebrate, like I said, if you look at our bullets in this very nice little 
Trinity symbol. And if you saw on the on the Facebook, I found a different Trinity symbol um, that's similar to a lot you'll see, where it's sort of three uh, oblong kind of things interlocked within a circle. You'll see all kinds of different ways of people trying to depict the Trinity in a way that kind of gets the threeness but the oneness. But the Trinity is something about God that we were shown and discovered and that has not changed about him, even though our world and everything about our lifetime is almost nothing like the first century. So today, we're going to talk about the Trinity. Now, there's a couple of different passages that you need to be ready to look at, um, both in John. So if you want to turn first to, first to John chapter 5, we're going to look at this one first here in a moment. So John chapter 5, and I'm going to just turn there now because I don't have it marked. Um, and I'll tell you the page when I get there. Um, so John chapter 5, now this is on page... Um, 1517 is where we'll be. So keep that. But before we get started, we need to talk a little bit about the Trinity. All right, so where did this doctrine come from? So um, I was doing some research, and I have this book upstairs. I don't know where it came from. I was looking on my shelf, and I had this book, um, and it was about the Trinity. And I'm like, awesome. I'm like, I don't have a lot of books about the Trinity. Um, I opened it up, and it has a section about the history of the Trinity, and I'm like, this is perfect because this is what I need. And this is the kind of stuff that you have to look at Wikipedia for. Because unless you have the right books, I mean, usually the tr that kind of history stuff is just glossed over because it's such a, you have to look for the specific book about it. All right, so this book is called The Tripersonal God by a man named Gerald O'Collins. I'm pretty sure he's uh, some sort of Catholic priest. Um, but what he did was he talked about the Trinity. Now, this is what's interesting, all right? If you talk to certain people, they say, oh, the Trinity didn't become something until 400 years, 350 years after Jesus died. But that's just not true. So um, in this book, he talked about a person named Justin Martyr. Justin Martyr lived between 100 and 165 A.D. So within um, 60 years of Jesus and within 30 years, probably, of Paul. And most certainly, some of the people that Paul taught might have been around to teach Justin Martyr, or there would have been just one generation in between. All right, so this is very close. Now, Justin Martyr wrote about the Trinity. Specifically, he wrote about God the Father and the divinity of Jesus, that Jesus was also God. So this is very early in Christian tradition. There's another person named Irenaeus, he was, lived from around 130 to 202 A.D. All right, so we're one generation back. Now, another guy named Tertullian. All right, now he lived 160 to 220 A.D., roughly. And then another guy by the name of Origen. Now, I have a book written by Origen upstairs I've been reading. And it is interesting and not easy to read. And he talks about the Trinity. And you read it and you think, wow, this reads like a book I've read in seminary. But this is the thing. He was writing in 184 A.D., between that and 253 A.D. All right, so what he's writing is way at the beginning of what we believe. Because the thing about Christianity is we have these beliefs that have been passed on for thousands of years. But what we're looking at is at the beginning. These are some of the first people to write about these ideas that we have today. So the Trinity is not something that was just 
developed or made up out of thin air. It was something that was being written about and talked about from the first days of the apostles in the early church. Now we fast forward to um, around 306 to 337 AD. Now during this time frame, a man named Constantine becomes the Roman emperor. Now he's not the Roman emperor of the entire empire for all that time. But eventually he becomes the emperor over the United Empire. Now what's the thing about Constantine is he gathered people around the Christian faith. So he claims to have a conversion experience. And because he confessed faith in God, he was given victory. So after that, he made the Christian faith the official faith of Rome, more or less. He made it legal. And then he also did something... um, is he convened the first ever church council. And now this council is called the Council of Nicaea. Um, Now the reason he convened this is because people were arguing about who Jesus was and was he actually God and what did it mean for Jesus to say, I'm the son of God. So he convened this council so that all these people throughout the empire could come together and make a decision about what we believed as a church. Now in that council, or in that, um, yeah, in that council, we get what's called a form of the Nicene Creed. Now the Nicene Creed has very, very strong Trinitarian language. And this is 325 AD, roughly. Now later on, six years later, there's another council called the Council of Constantinople. Now this is when the Trinity is officially sort of developed and finalized. So within roughly 300 years of when Jesus had lived and the apostles. But remember, we see evidence of it all the way within 100 years, or within 50 to 60 years of Jesus' life. So why do I tell you all this? It's because it's important for us to understand that the Trinity has always been a foundational faith, or a foundational part of our faith. And the church's confession about who we believe God is. We've always confessed that God is this holy trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now this is what's also even more interesting. The, The trinity has been controversial for a long time. From the beginning, there was arguments about it. But what's interesting is there's been arguments within Christianity and from outside of Christianity. All right, so I'm going to read you something. Um... Now this is from, and I did not know this until I looked at this book. This is from the Quran. Now yes, that Quran. The Quran that is the holy book of Islam. This is what the Quran says. Say not Trinity, desist. It will be better for you. For God is one God. Glory be to him. Far exalted is he above having a son. Do you hear those two things? He doesn't have a son, and he is not a trinity. Now, this is another spot. Say, he, Allah, is one. Allah is he whom all depends. He begets not. Sound like the the, um, Nicene Creed? God from God begot, not made. Nor is he begotten, and none is like him. All right, so we see in Islam a very intentional movement away from this idea that God is the Trinity, right? So that's important in our faith tradition, to understand that Islam is coming out of Christian Turkey and Christian Middle East 
in around the 7th and 8th century. And these people are saying, no, God is not triune. All right, now there's, it gets even more interesting, okay? So there's a couple other uh, groups of fa- people who, who are still called Christians, or still call themselves Christians. Now they also reject the Trinity. Their first one is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. All right, now that's actually uh, what we know as the Mormon Church. So the Mormon Church has always kind of been this church that is uh, rejected the Trinity, but it's my understanding for a long time they have sort of been secretive about it. In the sense that when you talk to a Mormon, they'll make it sound like the same way that we talk about God and the Trinity. But actually, they don't believe that. But what's interesting with the rise of YouTube and uh, social media and the internet is I found a video from one of the Mormon uh, priests, high count, I don't know what they're called, one of their um, very high leaders, where he actually spoke directly against the Trinity. And he said, this is why we don't believe it. And it's on their official YouTube channel. And you can go find it and listen to it. So they reject the Trinity. And now there's one other group that you've probably heard of before that also rejects the Trinity. uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. So uh, the Mormon church is not as clear about the Trinity on their website, at least not that I could find. Um, But Jehovah's Witnesses, if you go to their website, they have a page that is about the Trinity and why they don't believe and why it's wrong to say that God's triune on their, on their Facebook, on their website page. Like you go to, if you go to Google and say uh, Jehovah Witnesses and then you put colon Trinity, that page is going to come up and, it's gonna, and you're going to be able to read. It's not very long. It's not very theological. It's not very, it misses a lot of stuff. But they have it. So this is important because we are not in a vacuum. Now there's three groups of believers, Muslims, Mormons, and Jehovah's Witnesses, who reject the Trinity because in all three for different for the same reason, but for different or for the same reason, but citing different reasons. The reason is because they couldn't understand it. It didn't make sense. So instead of dealing with it, you just do away with it. If you look at the history of all of those faiths, I don't know much about Jehovah Witnesses, but Mormonism and Islam, the history of those faiths is that they came out of a place where Christianity was the dominant religion, but where maybe there wasn't a lot of strong teaching and theology, and out of these come groups that claim to have a different revelation about God, and the one thing they have to fix is the Trinity. So this isn't some unimportant issue. It's at the foundation of what we believe. Now, these groups will attack our faith on the fact that God is, we say that we believe that God is triune, that he is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So this is an issue that is important. But it is a difficult doctrine. So the real question comes down to, well, why is it that we read the Bible and then we have to say that God is triune, or that we believe in the Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Well, it starts because of our Jewish background. We need to remember that the earliest churches were all Jews, made up of Jews. And what's also most important, I think, that we don't really always understand, was that the Jewish people who who were at the beginning of the Christian faith did not believe that they were starting a new religion. They weren't calling themselves Christians. They were simply Jews that believed Jesus was the Messiah. So they believed that Jesus was the fulfillment of their scriptures. 
So good Jews believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They're Jews. Now the most important and the weirdest thing about Jews in the first century, there was a lot of them. The most important was that Jews only believed in one God, or what we call today is monotheism. Now monotheism is not quite, I don't know what Jews always believed. Um, they simply believed that though there might be many gods, that their God, Yahweh, was the God of all gods. And they believed something else that's very important. And it was a foundational part of their faith. Um, and it was something that they were told by Moses. And this was the foundation of how they worshipped. Does anyone have a guess of what that was? There was something they were told they were supposed to do. And it's on the wall in here somewhere. Over here, I think. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. The very first of the Ten Commandments of what the Jewish people called the Decalogue, what they believed was the summary of their law and the foundation of their faith. The very first thing God says is there will be no other gods before me. I am the God who brought you out of Israel, out of Egypt. I am the God you will worship. I am the God who defeated the gods of Egypt. And you will have no other God before me. That's foundational to the Jewish faith. There's one God now fast forward because Jesus comes and Jesus says lots of things that really make a lot of people upset for a lot of reasons. But one of the things he says is found in chapter 5 of John. Um, and this is the first time that something like this is said about Jesus and it's within five chapters. Um, it's his first encounter with the religious leaders in Jer Jerusalem. Remember he didn't live in Jerusalem. People probably didn't care about him. He was in Galilee. People from Jerusalem didn't care about Galileans. But when he was in Jerusalem, he made such a big deal the first time that people, the religious leaders had to do something. So what happens before this, uh, before this passage is that Jesus heals a man um, on the Sabbath. And then that man is questioned by the religious leaders. And the man's like, I don't know who healed me, but he told me to get up and walk, so I did. And they're upset because he's carrying his mat on the Sabbath. And that's work and it's illegal in their mind. So the man sees Jesus later, finds out who he is, and says, okay, this is the person who told me to walk. It's this guy named Jesus. So they go and find him, and they question Jesus. Now John chapter 5, starting in verse, um, make sure I get the right verse. I don't want to read all of it, just the part that's important. 5.16, this is what Jesus says. Or this is what we're told. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, which is healing the man, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. And now in his defense, in Jesus' defense, this is what he told him. He said, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. So that's what Jesus tells them. And now this is what we're told about the Jewish leaders. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So that's what the Jewish leaders believed that Jesus was doing. Basically, he was saying, okay, I'm God too. Have no other God before me. He has to go. So this is what the Jewish leaders heard. Now imagine if you're Jesus' follower. You hear all the other stuff in John that he says, well, I am the bread of life. 
I am one with the Father and the Father is one with me. I do the will of the Father. The Father is the one who sent me. All these different things that John says on and on and on. Things we've looked at. But what we hear is Jesus saying something like, okay, you know my Father, but I've come and I am from my Father. And what happens when Thomas sees Jesus? We talked about this second week of Easter. I don't expect anyone to remember, but it's okay. Um, Jesus appears to Thomas. And now Thomas, remember, he's the one that needed to see Jesus to believe. But when he sees Jesus, his confession is, my Lord and my God. So the disciples, by the end of John, are confessing Jesus is God. So now we have a problem, remember? There's only one God, and God is Yahweh, the Father. And all of a sudden, Jesus is God. And now Jesus says something that's even more odd that we read earlier today, John chapter 16. He says these things in 12, we're going to read again through 15. He says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear, but then, when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to my, the Father is mine. So that right there is a claim of I am with God, the Father. That is why... I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Now, we looked at the Spirit a little bit last week, too, and we talked about how the Spirit comes to live with us, and amongst other things. But the earliest disciples, remember, they're monotheist, monotheists, or more importantly, they believe there's only one God to worship, Yahweh, their God. They also believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah. They've seen him res res resurrected from the dead. All of a sudden they're like, he sounds like God too. And then they hear, oh wait, now he's talking about this Holy Spirit. Now remember, last week the Holy Spirit comes and we celebrate the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit empowers the believers to speak and to prophesy. And then only three, three, I'm going to do my hands wrong. From chapter 1, 2 of Acts to chapter 5, Peter is able to say something like this to Ananias and Sapphira. He says, why have you lied to us about this land that you said you gave us all the prophets from when you didn't? No one asked you to do that. You've lied to the Holy Spirit. And this is what he says. He says, you have not lied to man, but to God. In this short time, the apostles going from God the Father, one God, to Jesus is God, to all of a sudden the Holy Spirit is God. Remember, thou shalt have no other gods before me. These early Jews had to figure out what to do. And then our forefathers in faith before us had also inherited this faith and this belief in one God. So we had to make sense of all these things that Jesus is telling us. Because Jesus says, I do the will of the Father because the Father sent me. And he does say that the Holy Spirit only does that which I tell him to do. So we see right there that the three persons of the Trinity work together. They have one shared goal and will. They're one God, but three 
persons. Now that is why we have the Trinity, because we don't know how else to make sense of these passages. Now the other groups, Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses, have answers somewhat. Uh, I can tell you about those if you're interested. I don't know completely off the top of my head. Um, I, I listened more to what Mormons said about this. Um, but basically, it turns into them the saying that, yes, there's actually more than one God. And then they say, and that's okay because monotheism isn't a word in the Bible and it's not revealed to us by God. And God revealed to us that, he's three, that he is God the Father, but also that he has a son who's divine. And then from that they say that you can also become a God and someday you will inherit your own planet and you will have your family on your planet. So you see how things can get out of whack quickly. When you say that there's more than one God or you say that Jesus is not God, which is what Jehovah Witnesses believe. But I don't know anything else about it, so I can't say anything about it. The reason we have the Trinity is because Jesus told us these things that we need to make sense of. Now, this doesn't explain how you can have three persons, one God. Now, this is the part where we say that in some ways we can't quite understand it. Now, that's what the other faiths say. Because we can't understand it, it must be wrong. And that's simply not always the case. But what we can't understand is that why it is the way it is. And we can know that the Trinity helps us understand God. The Trinity helps us understand God because our faith is about knowing God and being close to God and God knowing us. If we're going to know God, we're going to know that God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the Trinity helps us understand and know God. So even though Islam and the Church of Latter-day Saints and Jehovah's Witnesses reject the Trinity... Because they can't make sense of it, we, even though there's things about it we might not understand, we can understand why we have the faith, that belief. It's because we are always monotheists, which that's just a word that is made or not made up, but it's given from a time way later than whenever the Bible's written. But it's easier, what we need to say is we believe and worship in one God. And that God is the God of all of the universe and the creator of the world. And that God made himself known to us because he became human in his son, Jesus Christ. He came close and became part of us. And then that God left, but he sent himself to dwell in us as the Holy Spirit and to be close to us at all times. We can know and understand God because of the Trinity. Now, we can't understand all of it, but we can have a basic understanding about those three persons. And we can also understand that these three persons, the God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, are in relationship with one another. So from the beginning, God's been in this eternal relationship of love, as the theologians want to call it. Now, they have a fancy word for this that I can't remember. And they talk about it as the eternal dance. That the three persons dance together eternally in love. And they say because of the Trinity, we love because God loves himself in the Trinity. 
Now, all of that is interesting, but what I want us to know is that God knows us and loves us because God knows relationships. Remember, as humans, we're built for relationship. Now, when you take a human and you put them in a solitary confinement or you put them on a desert island with, uh, like the movie Castaway, they start to talk to volleyballs. I've never actually seen that movie, but right, there's a volleyball he talks to. He makes a person because we're relational. And there's a reason that solitary confinement and keeping people isolated is a form of torture. It's because we are relational. We need other people. We're made to be in relationship with each other. And we're be made to be in relationship with our God. Because our God is also in an eternal relationship with himself. Between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Trinity helps us understand and know God. And we know God better. We're better able to connect and relate with him. We understand that through the power of Jesus, we are reconnected to the Father. And through the work of the Holy Spirit, we are empowered to live the way of Jesus. Right there, that's the Trinity. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But they all work together as one will, as one God. The Trinity helps us understand God. Now there's a lot of things we could talk about, but we cannot lose the woods and the trees. We have the Trinity because of what Jesus has told us about God. And the Trinity helps us to understand God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. And we thank you that you've made yourself known to us through your Son who became incarnate by the Virgin Mary and was made man. That we could know and see who you are. And that you, who became man, would send your Spirit to dwell in us to be close to us, that we may come close to you and be empowered to do your work and the work of your Son in the world. Lord, as your holy church, may we discern the will of the Spirit in us to do the work of your Son, who is the head of our church. May we do it for the glory of the Father. Lord, may we bring you to the world. And may we show that you are three persons, one God, eternally loving and eternally looking to connect with your creatures and have a relationship that lasts for all time. We ask this in your son's name, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.